a while back I was asked if I'd be interested in, in doing a platform this year, just on, on some topic, some theme, and I had to think about it, and I had to come back and say, no, I really can't. There was nothing that fired me up enough to motivate me to actually sit down and write something and put it to paper and prepare it. And then a conversation I wasn't even a part of, I heard that Richard Nugent wasn't going to be able to do the Blessings of Animals platform that he had done last year for the first time here, and I thought, well, that's a shame. I really liked that one. You know, that was a good one, but I just kind of put it aside. And then a few weeks back, somebody in here during response period kind of lamented the fact that ethical culture and humanism and even Unitarian Universalism don't really place a sufficient premium on our relationship with the animal world. And I thought, yeah, me too. And then I kind of realized I am a little fired up about something. I want to do this platform again this year, and if Richard's not going to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And perhaps even in a more simple sense, I'm doing this because I miss my dog. And anyone who's missed a dog or a cat or a guinea pig or an iguana knows that there's just something different about that relationship than the relationship we say we have with all living things and with the great chain and, and connections of existence. And that, all that is true. But there's something unique and special about our relationships with not just companion animals, but the others that contribute so mightily to our lives. And so that's why I think today's a little bit important. Just a little bit of history. I was born into a household with a large dog, a Siberian husky named Charlie, and two cats, Smokey the Gray Tabby and Dumpy the Siamese. In fairness to poor Dumpy, her name was Dumpling, but that's not what stuck. Most of the photos of my childhood are of me laying in a crib with one cat or another draped over my throat, or... My grandmother dangling me, maybe not intentionally, we don't know anymore, but the picture is there, dangling my meaty little legs over Charlie's wolf-like mouth. (laughs) Those huskies are just a shred away from their wild cousins. Or of me and the other three pets in the house sitting, looking out the window all together, waiting for our people to come home. I was at least 10 years old before we lost the first of those pets that I was born with. But we were a pet household, and so along came Charcoal the Shih Tzu, and on and on. And it was taken for granted that they're an integral part of the family, of our household, and of our lives. So you fast forward to today, and my wife, Michelle, and I have have loved and lost Hobbs, the big beige cat, Morty, the world's funniest pug, and Samson, the big soft Bernese mountain dog. But our story isn't unique. Anyone who's welcomed a companion animal, furry, scaled, feathered, or otherwise, into their family unit, into their circle, knows the blessings and the lessons that come from that relationship. They're significant. So how is it possible that these aren't directly mentioned, not even in passing, as part of our dominant faith traditions here of ethical culture and Unitarian Universalism? How can that happen? These are supposed to be integrative religions that draw from everything, the best of what came before us. Except we kind of missed the boat on this. There's so much to draw from. Going back to the Old Testament, Proverbs 12.10, the righteous person regards the life of his beast. Slightly antiquated language, but that's been updated lately. A righteous person knows the soul of his animals. I like that one. Judaism and Christianity teach that animals as well are part of God's creation, made the same covenant with God that we as human beings did. Jews take this whole Sabbath thing pretty seriously as well, from what I understand. But it's okay to break the Sabbath in order to to care for or tend an injured or sick animal. 
And that's a pretty big statement. There are not a whole lot of really good reasons to break Sabbath. To care for an animal that cannot otherwise care for itself is one of those reasons. Plenty to draw upon. If you look at the Garden of Eden and what it was intended to be, it's man living in harmony with the animals. That's, the, that's, that's heaven right there. That's offered up as what heaven is, is the return to Eden. Well, that's not a whole bunch of people being really good with other people and increasing their relationships with just people. Those animals are an integral part of that. Surah 6.38 from the Quran. There is not an animal on earth nor a bird that flies on its wings, but they are communities like you. Communities like you. Sort of upping that appreciation. In fact, Islam goes so far as to forbid factory factory farming as intolerable cruelty to animals. Like that piece. Um, The Hindu Hindu doctrine of ahimsa, the uh, all living things are sacred and should not be harmed, leads to there's a natural outgrowth of appreciation for those relationships there as well. And interestingly, some of the gods are in part animals. One of the few religions where you can view ultimate divinity and it's not in human form or it's not the wind or a mountain, but it is an animal as divinity. So there's a lot of rich history to draw upon. Unfortunately, we didn't choose to do so. I'd always taken humanism and ethical culture in particular to be you know, of that more inclusive nature. And it was one of the reasons that led me to finally come out of the closet a few years ago and say, I have a religion, which, if you believe the political pundits, uh, is one of the worst things you could possibly say if you want to be accepted in this society, was that you know, you're not religious. So I am, except for one thing that's now bothering me about my, my spiritual path of choice is that it's particularly mute on this subject of reverence specifically for other animals, of which we are just one. And so you can stretch it a little bit and say, well, you know, there's the ethical manifold, and that includes all things, but strictly speaking, the way Adler wrote it, it's ideal interactions between human beings. And so that's good, and I can change that picture a bit to drop little doggies and kitties and other things in there, and that's fine. But the fact that I have to stretch to make that happen, it shouldn't be that way. The seventh principle of, uh, is it the principles? See, you can tell I'm new to this. The uh, seventh principle of, of Unitarian Universalism is respect for the interdependent web of all existence, of which we are a part. And that's good, and I'm, I'm sure the animals fit there. But that's really big in general, and I think there's a special relationship here that deserves a little bit more than that. So that's what I want to I talk about for the next few minutes. So if I'm all fired up about this and how this needs to be a bigger part, a better part, of our faith tradition, of our spiritual lives, on what do I base that? What are the blessings that we receive from animals and companion animals that warrants a special place for them? And the first, just by virtue of being part of that interconnected web of existence, the circle of life, or the carbon cycle, or the food chain, or any of these you know, kind of grand cyclical metaphors that we like to talk in, by virtue of being in there with us to help move this world forward, they deserve some respect on that account. But we can take that further. Animals provide us with specific products. Clothing, wool, feathers, silk, $2,500 baby Vicuña sweaters. These, these are important things to our lives. But in all seriousness, I mean, historically and even today, we still use the many animals just for, you know, for the, the wool that comes off them or the silk that they spin for specific products. Tools, oil, artists' brushes, all come from animals. Labor, the oxen in the field, other field animals. There's a reason this has historically been called horsepower. Our progress was powered by animals. And even today, 
There are many local economies around the world that are completely dependent upon these so-called beasts of burden to sustain those villages, those cities, and those economies. We also are blessed by the food that comes from animals. Vegans aside, most of humanity is completely dependent, very dependent, on animal-derived food, milk and honey. The promised land was the promised land because there were animals there that could provide for us. Cheese, eggs, butter, and then the protein of animals themselves. I know that using animals for food is a choice, and leaving that aside for a moment, but for most of us here, we still need to appreciate this greatest of blessings because it's one that we probably avail ourselves of most frequently, but with the least amount of appreciation. I've made some strides over the last year. Um, As some of you may know, Michelle and I and the Schofield Lika family got together and we bought half a cow. Some of you have shared our cow, um, Steer 94. But going through this experience, in the last nine months, there has not been beef in my house that has not been courtesy of a very specific Steer 94. And having this type of longer-term relationship has built up this appreciation that there is an animal behind this to which I need to be more indebted. And it has led to some behavioral changes in my life. Baby steps, but at least there are steps. Other blessings that we owe are inspiration. The inspiration to fly, to move through the water with great speed like a dolphin. Or even the inspiration that artists and idlers get from just watching the animal world and painting it or writing songs about it or whatever it is that artistic people do. There's inspiration in there. But for all of you scientific types, there's growing inspiration there as well. Not that it hasn't been there before. Da Vinci drew from the natural world almost obsessively in a lot of what he did. And even today, the entire field, this burgeoning field of biomimetics, miming, mimicking what's in biology, is opening up wonderful new creative paths for us based on the patterns of nature, the patterns of animals and plants and others that we see. That's a great indebtedness there. We also have the blessings of work and then very specific work. We've used animals to communicate via pigeon. There are animals that do bomb sniffing. And some say there's animals that even can sniff the human body and know where we are diseased or hurting, or where there's something happening inside us that we are otherwise completely unaware of. Pretty powerful. And obviously, we also use animals quite a bit for testing, for the improvement of our own lives. And putting the humaneness of that aside for a moment, so much has been learned through this that we should be greatly indebted for that blessing as well. And there are animals that help humans live better lives every day, particularly dogs, but even others in a world that is not always built to accommodate their needs. So going, we have all of that right there for blessings. And I haven't even touched upon the main one, which is why all of, of, these, uh, all of these wonderful creatures are with us here today, and that is companionship. I could have called it love. I think when I wrote the draft for this, I put love, and then I thought, you know what? might be a little too extreme for some people. So in, in deference to that, I think it's fair to call companionship a great blessing that we receive from animals, those who are companion animals to us. And we're blessed because of what we learn through this relationship, the lessons that we get out of this, the lesson of joy, unbridled joy. If you've ever watched a pug puppy that has no nose or snout to speak of, try to chew a soccer ball (laughs) obsessively, but the joy that it's getting out of just trying is, is something to behold. Or any dog tumbling through the snow. We also learn the lesson of unconditional acceptance. With few exceptions, 
Um, maybe cats. Companion animals. No, no, no. I'm a cat person, too. I am convinced it's because they're smart enough to sometimes see us for who we really are and are in wait-and-see mode. They're bright enough to actually do that. We think we're so clever because we have these big brains and opposable thumbs that allowed us to create and share a golden rule, but many of our companion animals live out that golden rule for us to see. And that's really something to behold. Um, If human beings behave that way as consistently, we'd probably call them saints. I mean, that's, that's really something. We learn the lesson of stewardship or caring for something other than ourselves. And for many of us, it's the greatest lesson we learn in childhood about how to treat others, how to care for others, and it comes from our companion animals. It's a big burden to place on ourselves, and it's a test of who we truly are. When you agree to bring a companion animal into your home, you're, you're signing on for a lifetime of care, whatever that care may be. So I remember, I remember this pretty vividly. I know I keep referencing Samson because he's the, you know, the most, most current in our minds. But when we got Samson as a puppy, it wasn't too far removed from having to euthanize our, our old cat, Hobbs. And I was sitting with him in front of the TV, and he was just being a puppy or laying there, slobbering or doing something. And I actually said to him, I, I said, when the time comes, I promise to make the right decision for you. I was convinced I'd already made the right decision for the cat, but something about that stuck with me. And it was that moment I realized that this is a significant commitment. It's a profound responsibility that we accept when you're agreeing to make ethical, good, end-of-life decisions on behalf of another living creature. And there's a lot of lessons that come from that, a lot of good that comes from that to let you know who you are and what you're capable of, um, that you're capable of that type of compassion and caring. And from that also comes learning about the lessons of death. But because of companion animals, and for many of us at a young age, we're able to see an entire life cycle and be able to put that into context. If we don't get that from our companion animals, from our pets, it's very difficult, especially for younger people, to see that entire cycle. What a tremendous lesson. And that leads to sorrow, but it also leads us to understanding about the healing power of time. And that while we certainly may never forget that in time we do heal. And we get all of this just from having a pet in the home, from choosing to share a part of our life with a companion animal. And there's much more that I'm sure I have not hit upon. And that'll be part of the blessings that you can come up here in a moment and share with us as well. So with all this going for them, and for all they give to us, there has to be a better way to weave non-human animals into our spiritual lives. And here's what it comes down to for me. The golden rule of ethical culture is typically taken to be some, some variation of always act so as to elicit the best in others and thereby yourself. Well, in respect to companion animals, those that I've just been talking about, those who are here with us today, what do they ever do other than elicit our best? They teach us lessons, encourage us to be better, more conscientious humans. They meet us where we're at instead of where they wished we were. Companion animals do this, and because of that, they deserve our appreciation. So here's my reconciliation. Here's how I'm going to put this in my mind that it's, it's okay. I'm making a place. I am carving out a place specifically for animals in the context of my, my spiritual beliefs. Because animals elicit our best and are capable of eliciting our best, they are 100% without question included in the concept of the ethical manifold, or the the great circle of being, or any of that. There can be no other way around that. 
They are every bit as capable as human animals are of eliciting the best in another person. Therefore, they have to be in. Anything short on that, I'm going somewhere else. (laughs) We spend 51 weeks a year dedicating platforms to human animals, and today is our one platform a year for non-human animals and the humans that support them through the stages of life, celebrate what they value, and on and on. (laughs) Amen.